the morning. Uh, it's about 7 a.m. And I'm about to measure out my microdose for the day. Uh, I've got my little scale. Um, it's kind of like a envelope scale. You can measure down to uh, the tenth of a gram. Even lower than that, but I just need it down to the tenth of a gram. Um, I've got some uh, mushroom powder. Basically, I, I, I took the, the mushrooms that I buy and put them in a coffee grinder, ground them down into a powder. I tend to just pour it into water and then just kind of mix it up, as you hear me doing. The promise of microdosing ahead on Today Explained. All right, so I'm now going to head off to work. Okay. Mint, mint, mint. Okay. You wouldn't pay $15 for a cold brew, and you'd never spend $250 to see a movie. So why are you paying so much for your cell phone plan? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless plans for $15 a month. That's Hey, a- Jimmy, honey, do you want pasta? Hey, Mom, I'm recording right now. Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required, equivalent to $15 a month. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Jimbo, I'm going to heat up some pasta just in case, okay? You need your energy. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Today Explained, I'm Sean Ramos Firm. At the top of the show, you heard from an everyday microdoser. And we're going to keep him anonymous because while microdosing is becoming popular in the United States, it has yet to become legal in most places. On the show today, we want to understand the mainstreaming of microdosing. So we reached out to Dana Smith. She's a freelance science journalist who recently wrote about the phenomenon and whether or not it really works for The New York Times. Microdosing is, instead of taking a large amount of a psychedelic where you're going to have the kind of classic hallucinogenic trip, it's taking a very, very small amount. So really just 5 to 10% of a normal dose. And people take it in the morning like a cup of coffee. You really don't feel high. People describe it as kind of like everything's a little bit sparkly, a little bit shiny. You know, one person described it as kind of like life in high definition. So the goal is not to feel like you're high. It's not to feel like you're tripping. It's really just to have a little bit of a boost uh, throughout the day, potentially in kind of cognitive processes like attention, creativity, focus, things like that. And then also for just kind of well-being. And um, some people are also using it to treat mental health disorders. What got you interested in microdosing? I got a PhD studying drug addiction about eight years ago. And I was doing my PhD in England, 
Um, and Imperial College London is one of the kind of main re- like research hubs for psychedelic research. Um, they were the first to put people in an fMRI scanner while they were on LSD or psilocybin and actually see what was happening in the brain. So all that research was happening while I was getting my PhD up the road in Cambridge, also studying drugs, but focusing on cocaine and heroin as kind of the more classic kind of problem drugs, quote unquote. So yeah, so I got interested in kind of the potential of psychedelic therapy from kind of a a research standpoint. And then when I made the transition to science journalism, kind of kept my eye on it as just getting a, a bigger and bigger trend and with more and more solid research behind it. So it's something that I've been interested in and written about a couple of times as a journalist now. Microdosing has been a trend for about the last 10 years or so. It's really come onto the radar um, of popular culture with a lot of people in Silicon Valley doing it. Richard, take Aviato. That's not a name that I found. It's a name that found me on a vision quest. Largely for people wanting boosts in creativity or energy are kind of the, the main claims around it. I'm not going to eat a bunch of drugs and sit out in the desert and hope some name randomly pops in my head. Well, then I question your leadership. I guess the history kind of goes back even further because it's kind of the resurgence or the renaissance of psychedelics. The goal of this trip is ecstasy. So psychedelics and psychedelic therapy are having a huge moment right now because they're showing kind of legitimate possibility as uh, therapies for depression and PTSD and some other mental health disorders. Despite its bad reputation, we need to ask the question, what does this mushroom know that we don't? What does it do that we can't? It seems to kind of fall into three camps. One is for kind of as almost like a performance enhancer. So this was the initial claims that people saw out of Silicon Valley where, you know, everyone's talking about a little bit of increased attention, better focus. Um, Creativity is another big one that people say is that it, you know, helps them see connections that they might not otherwise have seen. Another main reason is for just kind of improved well-being, just feeling better. Um, People are using it to to self-medicate if they have depression or anxiety, and they say that it helps with their mood and helps with their symptoms. And then the third camp is just kind of recreational. Um, You know, it's still a recreational drug. People do it because it feels good. So some people are using it in the evening to unwind instead of, you know, having a beer or a glass of wine, say. What drugs are people microdosing? The main ones are LSD and psilocybin, which is the key hallucinogenic component of magic mushrooms. For LSD, it's like 10 to 20 micrograms. And then for mushrooms or for psilocybin, it's about like one to three milligrams of psilocybin. Mushrooms, it's harder to get a precise amount because you don't actually know how much psilocybin is in a mushroom and you don't know how concentrated it is and kind of like where in the mushroom it is. So it's really a pretty imprecise science. Most people don't actually measure their doses. They just take you know, a tiny dropper of LSD or just like a little nibble of a mushroom. But the goal is for really like very, very low threshold feeling of a psychedelic high. How much do you feel it? Comparing this to like an anti-anxiety medication, what's the experience? It varies a little bit. In some of the literature, it says that you shouldn't feel it at all, that it should be really sub-threshold. So you're taking so small of a dose that you might not be aware that it's working but you just trust that something is happening. So it's been about an hour and a half since I took the dose, and I'm already starting to feel the effects. On the other side, some people are taking it, so you know they, they do want to feel something. I oftentimes have a kind of general anxiety in the morning that started to go away as I was driving to work. 
that anxiety was replaced with a kind of general sense of euphoria and peace and calm and and in the momentness or presentness, all the all the kind of uh, cliche things that people say. One person I talked to said that on a scale of one to ten, he aims for about a two or a three. So he's aware that he's taking it. Things feel a little bit different, a little bit you know, kind of shinier, happier. Uh, but it's definitely you know far from a full full psychedelic high. I mean, you wrote about this in the New York Times, and you talked to a couple of people who microdose recreationally. What do they say keeps them coming back? Um, they say that it helps them. You know, uh, most of the people I talked to were using it because um, they had symptoms of depression or anxiety, and they really didn't want to be on a standard SSRI uh, or antidepressant drug. And they said that it really helped them. It improved their mood. They just felt a little bit happier. They felt a little bit more um, kind of in control of their feelings and just really had kind of a an emotional boost throughout the day. And so they're taking it you know, maybe a couple times a week. So it's not every day. It's not like a medication that you take every morning, but you would take it, you know, maybe one to three times a week. So I just um, finished teaching my first two courses of the day and um, still feeling very good. I actually think that when I microdose, it actually helps me to be a better teacher, actually, because I can kind of be more... I know this is cliche to say, but I'm a little bit more in the moment um, and not really thinking about, you know, all the other things I need to do. I can just kind of focus in the moment about what the students need, what the discussion needs at that point. And I think I can foster just a better teaching environment. I have a couple more classes to teach later today. I'll send another update um, after I teach my, my next two classes this afternoon. Science of Microdosing is up next on Today Explained. Support for this episode comes from Mint Mobile. There's a lot to love about your cell phone. It gets you safely from point A to point B. It can capture some of life's most important memories. Hey, it even does cat memes. But when it comes to your cell phone bill, those warm and fuzzy feelings are nowhere to be found. Enter Mint Mobile. Enter mom. Knock, 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 knock. Honey, Jimbo, I'm coming in. Mom, you can't keep barging into my recording studio like this. <laughs> Honey, recording studio. You mean your bedroom? Oh, oh, it is a mess in here. Uh, time for a vacuum. Just quick, quick vacuum. Hey, can you just give me 10 minutes to finish this? What are you doing in here? What is a Mint Mobile? They do cell phone plans for $15 a month. Huh, well, that's too good to be true. I know a scam when I see one, honey. It's not a scam. Look here. Plans come with unlimited talk and text. And high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Oh, oh, that's something. Then I'd have to get a new phone, though, and put all my numbers in there. Uh, That's too much work. Forget it. No, Mom, you can keep your phone and all your contacts with any Mint Mobile plan. It's really easy. Huh. Same number? Yeah, same number. Okay, so I'm just gonna finish this ad oh, now. Pretend I'm not even here. Not even here. You're standing between me and the computer. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required. Equivalent to $15 a month. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Mom, the vacuum! The vacuum! You never call. That's because I live here, Mom. Hmm. <laughs> 
Support for Today Explained comes from Ramp. This ad goes out to all the finance professionals looking for love. I'm just kidding. Looking for a better way to simplify business finance across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting. And to all the accountants tired of the same old finance software, Ramp may be the answer you've been looking for. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. So what does that mean? Well, according to Ramp, they give finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions, automate expense reporting so you don't waste time. Ramp says its accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so that you don't have to. That could put an end to chasing down receipts and to your employees spending hours submitting expense reports. And now you can get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash explained, ramp.com slash explained, ramp.com slash explained. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions do apply. Today Explained, we're back and it's time to dig into the science of microdosing with science journalist Dana Smith. Yeah, the science is really interesting with microdosing. Um, So a lot of the research that's happening is by those scientists who were studying the large doses to begin with. And it's interesting because it's a case of the science really following the trend. So researchers were studying the large doses and found a lot of efficacy uh, for people with depression, PTSD, and other mental health disorders. It, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that um, things like psilocybin and, and potentially LSD and MDMA really can help people with, um, with mental health disorders. Um, and so then, you know, they saw the trend just like the rest of us did, and so they started uh, studying microdosing as well, and it's a little bit trickier there. So a lot of the early studies are just plain surveys. So you just ask people who microdose kind of why they do it and what benefits they feel. And then people report a lot of things they mentioned earlier, you know, better well-being, better attention, better cognition. But that is really tricky because it's all self-reports. There's no placebo. You're Mm. not actually testing anything. When you get people into a lab, again, without a placebo, they report the same thing. So even on cognitive tests, they'll show better performance. They'll show better scores on a a depression score, for instance. Um, But finally, there have just in the last year started to be placebo-controlled trials, and all of a sudden those effects went away. So if you give people um, either a microdose or a placebo and you don't tell them which one they get, um, everyone in the study improves, but that means that there's, there's a placebo effect happening. So if you improve when you have a placebo and there's no greater improvement compared to the microdose, um, then it's really hard to say that there's actually an effect of the drug that's happening. It's just your expectation. And in one of the studies that came out of Imperial, um, they actually asked people what they thought they had taken at the end of the study. And people were more likely to see an improvement in their mood and well-being if they thought they had taken a microdose, regardless of what they got. And they were less likely to show an improvement if they thought they had taken a placebo, regardless of what they got. So the expectation effect was really a bigger driver than the drug itself in terms of how people improved over the course of the study. Okay, so in in what we know so far, there's a real expectation effect, a placebo effect here for people when we're talking about a microdose. Is there science out there for when you bump it up to a full dose? 
Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of research on that. Um, those are very controlled experiments. Um, it's really hard to do a placebo for a full dose of a hallucinogen. You pretty quickly know what you've gotten or not. Um, <laughs> so there are not really placebo-controlled trials, as you can imagine. But there is a lot of rigorous research around psychedelic therapy, where people have um, several intensive therapy sessions, then they have a therapy session while they're receiving a very large dose of LSD or psilocybin, um, and then they have follow-up appointments afterwards. And there have been a couple of clinical trials that have shown that people actually have as much of a benefit as they do with kind of standard SSRIs or, you know, kind of typical antidepressant drugs. So there are numerous studies that have come out now that really do show a pretty clear benefit of psychedelic therapy with those large doses. It's just that the microdoses, it's uh, not quite as clear-cut. And, and should we assume that until the science is a little more clear here, there isn't going to be sort of this mainstreaming of microdosing across the country? Well, for one thing, I mean, these drugs are illegal. So, you know, I, I you could say that in some ways it already is mainstream because we're even talking about it. You know, like this is a pretty big trend that's happening. Um, the question is, will microdoses be FDA approved to treat anxiety or depression? Mm. Those larger clinical trials for the larger doses, that's kind of already in the works for FDA approval of psilocybin. And, you know, it's it's not happening yet, but that is what people are kind of anticipating and hoping for by the end of the decade. The question then becomes, can you market or prescribe a microdose of psilocybin? And that's where you really want to see that it works because you can't prescribe something that's no better than a placebo. There are like really big ethical implications there. So that's why it's really important to do this research now to see if the benefit is really real or not or um, if it's just an expectation effect. One thing I will say is that it's not quite as simple as just placebo-controlled trials didn't see anything, therefore it doesn't work. Um, because there are a couple studies that are looking at what microdoses of psychedelics do in the brain. And there, it's, it's pretty clear that something is happening. So with you know, kind of larger microdoses, about you know, 10% of a full dose instead of 5%, you can see that there are changes happening in the brain in terms of people's activity, in terms of the serotonin receptors. That is the primary target that the drugs are working on in the brain. And you can see that something's happening there that's kind of similar but just smaller than a full dose of a psychedelic. So hmm. it's not that the microdoses are doing nothing. Um, they're doing something in the brain. It's just a question of whether that corresponds to them doing something for people in terms of behavior and mental health and things like that. So it, it's a really interesting conundrum right now of whether the effect is real or not. You mentioned that these drugs are still illegal, but they're not illegal everywhere. I know Oregon has at least legalized mushrooms what are the ways these drugs are being used therapeutically despite being illegal in most of the country? Look, the state is very libertarian on drug laws, and I do think it's the beginning of something. Oregon is expected to have a ballot initiative in 2020 that would actually legalize psilocybin therapy. Hmm. So guided psilocybin experiences and reduce penalties for recreational use. And there's a group in California who would like to get it on the ballot here. You're right. Oregon was the first state to legalize psilocybin. And a big part of that was the push around their potential as a therapeutic, as an antidepressant. In a separate 2020 ballot initiative, Oregon voters also opted to legalize psilocybin, the psychoactive compound in magic mushrooms, for use in therapeutic settings. Regulators have until January 2023 to begin issuing licenses. I think it's a great so there definitely are to, uh, clinicians, either through clinical trials, um, you know, through actually university-led clinical trials, where people can enroll to take 
um, primarily MDMA for PTSD or psilocybin for depression. But it's definitely one way that people can seek out and try and get therapy that way and, and try and um, use in that way. There are also, you know, underground networks of therapists who are, you know, prescribing these drugs. So the movement is definitely happening. They're just not legal on a federal level yet, and they're not FDA-approved um, to be used therapeutically yet. DC's trying. I know maybe if they can pull it off, it'll convince all the federal government to like to to hang with 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 psychedelics. And then in the psychedelic world, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, I hope I said that correctly. I guess people usually just say AOC, uh, has just introduced an amendment to a larger spending bill that would take away this language that has been there since the 90s that uh, basically says there, there you can't use federal fun- funds for any activity that promotes the legalization of any drug or other substance in Schedule 1. I mean, they just shot down, I think, another effort to legalize marijuana there. So I think that might be a stretch. Uh, <laughs> she's focusing on psychedelics here, and she wants um, she wants research to really just open up. So <laughs> That might be the last place to turn over. I don't know. Like marijuana, though, this could be a pretty big market, right? Which is to say something to tax? Oh, absolutely. I mean, people right now are estimating it's about a $2 billion market right now, and it could be $10 wow. billion in the next five years. I mean, hmm. this is massive, massive money. They do have a really strong potential of helping people, but there are a lot of questions that still need to be worked out. And that's why figuring out whether the benefit of microdosing is real or not is is a big deal because there's a lot of money behind this. People could really start to market this pretty quickly. And so you need to actually show that a drug works um, and that, that a specific dose of it works to help people beyond a placebo before companies can start marketing it, promoting it, and prescribing it. So I just finished teaching my my last class, and I'm now headed home. I no longer am really, you know, feeling any of like the direct effects of the microdose, but I still feel, you know, pretty positive, happy, still calm, euphoric. All the kind of emotions I mentioned before. Had a good day of classes. Another positive microdosing day. And uh, I'm going to do it again later this week. Dana Smith is a freelance science reporter. You can find her and her work at DanaGSmith.com. Our program today was produced by Miles Bryan, edited by Matthew Collette and me, fact-checked by Tori Dominguez and engineered by Paul Mounsey. The rest of the Today Explained team includes Victoria Chamberlain, Will Reed, Hadi Mawagdi, and Halima Shah. Our supervising producer is Amina Al-Sadi. Our other host is Noel King. Our VP of audio is Liz Kelly Nelson. And we use music from Breakmaster Cylinder and Noam Hassenfeld. I'm Sean Ramos from Today Explained as part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Okay, let's see here. I think this plugs in here, and we'll just 
whatever, we'll just, okay, record, okay. Support for this episode of Today Explained came from Mint Mobile. Oh, this isn't so hard. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month when you purchase three months. That's a good deal. Um, and at Mint, families start at just two lines, unlike other providers who make you buy four or five lines to get the best rate. Goodness me, two lines. And here we are still paying for Jimbo's bill. What are you doing in here? This is my room. Uh, uh, nothing, nothing. I'm doing nothing. Wait a minute, are you recording? You're, are you uh, recording? Uh, I'm almost done. Just, just let me finish. I'm on a roll. Okay. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required, equivalent to $15 a month. Right, that's 15 times three. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Oh, woo! <laughs> okay, that was actually pretty good.